Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Um, guys, if you're if you're kind of in the habit of, of taking notes, you'll notice this morning on the back of your bulletin, it just says, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Um, I, I really wanted to have uh, just kind of a family conversation this morning. And if that is a triggering phrase, like it actually is for me, when I was a kid, we would have family meetings. And, and family meetings meant we were going to get new chores and new responsibilities or needed to do a better job of cleaning our room. That is not this conversation. Um, maybe a conversation in a couple weeks, because I understand we've got a lot of great opportunities for people to jump into new serving uh, spaces. But I, I want to tell you a story this morning. And I'm usually a pretty good storyteller, but I'm going to give away the end of the story right out of the gate. Uh, it's a story about me. And I'm going to use a word that can be a scary word. But I just, I, I'm going to get it right out there real quick because I don't want you to be scared. Two and a half weeks ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not only okay, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story, but I, I wanted to start with, with giving you that piece of information because as I tell the story, it becomes clear where the story is going, so I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, I've got great doctors. Um, it's in the early stages, and uh, I've got a great, great uh, medical team, great medical plan, and I'm going to be having surgery in a couple of months. It's like they just said, just do something before the end of the year, and you'll be fine. But I want to tell you the story of how I discovered it. And then I just want to share some of the learnings that I am, you know, sometimes we, we learn as we study the Bible, and sometimes we learn just as we engage with Jesus going through our stuff. And I just want to share with you some of the things that I'm learning because I would suspect I'm not the only person in this room who has ever had or ever will get surprising and unfavorable news. Anybody else in the room? So can I tell you this story? So probably six months ago, um, I just went in and got my annual physical. Uh, and by annual, I mean once every seven years. Um, but thank you, Jesus. I've got a wife that goes, you're not going to keep living that way. So quick plug for those of you who don't like the doctors, go anyway. Turns out it's important. So I, had a, I just had a physical with my doctor out in San Inez, and, and um, one of the things they do when you get a physical is they send you to get blood work. So I'm like, great, I'll go get blood work. To be honest, what I was worried about is that they were going to tell me my cholesterol was high and I couldn't eat red meat anymore. That was my biggest fear. And so I, I, I have my, <clears throat> my telemedicine conversation with her, and she's like, no, your cholesterol is great, but your, your PSA levels are high. And, you know, since I have a lot of medical background, she's talking to me about my PSA levels, and I'm on another screen Googling PSA levels. Prostate-specific antigen. Uh, and my levels weren't super high, but they were higher than they should be. So she just said, wait a couple of weeks and test again. I'm like, great. I'll wait a couple of weeks and I'll test again. And I did. And she called me back and said, your levels are still high. I'm like, all right, go. So then the next step is go see a urologist. Like, great. I'll go see a urologist. What every man always wants to do. So I'm in the waiting room, right, with, with people who are <laughs> in their 80s. I'm like, I'm in the wrong spot. I don't know what's going on here. So, so I go in and I talk to the doctor, and he says, why are you here? I'm like, you should know that. Um, I said, my, my PSA levels are high. And he said, well, okay, when, when did you last test? And I'm thinking, well, you should know that too. Um, 
And I said, well, I, I took one test, and then I took another test two weeks later. He goes, well, that's not long enough. So wait six more weeks and go test again. So the awesome part of these journeys, as you know, as you've had your own medical journeys, is the waiting, right? So go wait six weeks and then test again and then come back. And I'm like, okay. So uh, I waited six weeks. I tested again. And he went, oh, hey, your numbers are still high. I'm like, yeah, I figured they would be because, anyway. Uh, so he says, we need to do an MRI. Great. Let's do an MRI. So I, four weeks later now, right, because it just, they, they love this, they just get strung out. Uh, so four weeks later, I'm, I'm sitting in the tube. Doom, 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 doom. Have you ever had an MRI? Awesome. We're all seeing the doctors. Good job. Take responsibility for your health. So I, I get the MRI, and, and then the next day, maybe two days later, so I made a mistake, right? Um, I went on my chart and looked at my results before my doctor could tell me what my results are. So I go into my chart, and I find I have two suspicious masses, like they're trying to break into my house. I didn't know what that word meant. Two suspicious masses on my prostate. I'm like, okay. Um, my brain? I'm in trouble, right? Isn't that where we tend to go right out of the gate? Uh-oh, uh, is my will in place? <laughs> have I told my wife I love her today? Um, so, I, again, I have to wait, right? So I have to wait, and that, so finally I get a telemedicine call, and he says, yes, we have these, we found these two suspicious masses, and everything in me wants to say, what are they? But he doesn't know. All you know is there's something there, and now we have to, we have to look again. So I'm like, okay. And um, you told me not to share too much. How am I doing so far? Okay. Wendy is my break. She's the best. She's like, don't overshare. So I'm going to skip the next part. I won't give you all the details about how they check to see what those, what those suspicious masses are, but it's fun. Um, so I got a biopsy, and my doctor called me back and said, um, so here's the deal. Um, you have prostate cancer. Awesome. He said, you have grade two prostate cancer with a Gleason score of seven. So again, I'm on the other screen Googling. Um, grade two is like, so I, I'm only familiar with like stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and the higher the stage, the more trouble you're in. Um, I'm like, so is that stage two? He's like, no, you're not even into the stage conversation yet. Whew. Okay. All right, what do I need to know? And he says, you, he said what I did when I started. He said, I'm going to use a word that sounds scary. It's not scary. He said, you are in the unfavorable intermediate risk category. I'm like, yes, unfavorable sounds scary. Did you have to lead with that? He says, what unfavorable medium risk category means is because you're over 50, and I know that's a shock to you. It, it surprises me every morning, too. Um, I would like to take this moment to say I'm barely over 50. Because you're over 50 and more than 50% of the cores that we took came back positive for cancer, uh, you're in the unfavorable intermediate risk. I said, what does that mean? And he said, well, there's, there's three things really that you do uh, when you have prostate cancer. There's three different ways to approach it. One uh, is what we call active waiting, where we just watch your PSA scores and see if they continue to climb. Uh, the second is surgery. And the third is radiation. Because you are over 50, barely, and 
you had more than 50% of your cores test positive, we take active waiting off the table. We think you probably need to do something about this. Makes sense. So then he said, so what, what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you make an appointment with a surgeon and with a radiation oncologist. And he said, here's why. Um, the success rates for surgery and for radiation are nearly identical. So we don't make a recommendation. We give you the option to meet with both of them, and then you choose. I'm like, I'm not qualified to choose, but okay. And so I'm doing okay. And then he says, and then we need to schedule a PET scan. Why do we need to schedule a PET scan? To make sure there's no cancer anywhere else. I'm like, could we just have ended the conversation with you get to choose? So Wendy and I made an appointment with a surgeon, and we made an appointment with a radiation oncologist, and I scheduled a scan. Um, went back down to Santa Barbara, got in a couple of machines again, and the scan scans came back clear. So thank you, Jesus. Yeah, really good. Really happy. Scans came back clear. And um, because I'm getting so good at the Google, um, I looked up both of the doctors that I was going to see. My radiation oncologist did his residency at Harvard. I'm like, oh, he's probably not a dummy. Uh, probably knows what he's talking about. Uh, our surgeon did what's called a fellowship in urology with a specialization in uh, robotic prostatectomies. Learning so much. Uh, a fellowship is when you spend at least six years kind of being a Padawan to a Jedi, right? So when, when you... <laughs> the the non-Star Wars fans are like, what are you talking about right now? Um, it's like taking a master class for six years. So when you come out, you really, really, really know what you're doing. So Wendy and I... Um, met with the surgeon, and he said, this is how I do it. I do it robotically. Uh, it's what's called a nerve-sparing surgery. You know, it used to be like they would just kind of cut you down the middle, reach in, and pull stuff out. Now there's like this six-pronged robot that looks something like something out of a horror film. Uh, I Googled that, too. That was probably a mistake. Where he's like, we just punch, you know, six little holes, and then we, we go in and, and we get it. It's like, okay. So he talked about recovery. You know, you'll be down for about a week, and... Um, Quality of life should not be impacted once your body heals. Like, okay. He says, but go talk to the radiation oncologist. And then he said again, because we don't make recommendations. I'm like, All right. So Wendy and I went back down to Santa Barbara. Uh, some of you guys said, how was your vacation? Uh, put a lot of miles on the car going back and forth to Santa Barbara. Uh, so we sit down with the radiation oncologist, super nice guy who looks at us and goes, so I recommend surgery. Okay, I was ready for the pick-me fight, right, like on the playground. Choose me. He's like, man, your age and stage, uh, the health you're in, the way you're going to recover, I would just really recommend you could do this for a couple of reasons. One, uh, when you have surgery, they can actually do pathology and make sure it is what they think it is. Uh, and secondly, he said, if we miss a microscopic little bit and in, in you know, five years your, your PSA levels start climbing again, we just hit you with radiation then. But if you start with radiation, it's a little harder to do something if, if it comes back. So, great. So, Wendy and I, I keep saying Wendy and I, but Wendy and I did schedule. Uh, we, we decided we were going to go with the surgery. <laughs> we are going to go with the surgery route. Sorry, babe. I'm, yeah, she's like, you're going with surgery. Um, so, I'm going to have surgery uh, on November 7th. Um, it's a, just run down to Santa Barbara. The worst part of it, is when I scheduled it, she said, you need to be down here at 5.15 in the morning. I'm like, are you joking right now? Because you're the same woman who just told me I can't have coffee. 
She's like, yep, no coffee. You need to get down here at 5.15. Uh, we'll do the surgery. We'll keep you overnight. Uh, and then we'll send you home the next day. Um, you'll be up and out of bed, up and around, you know, within 24 hours. But you might want to take a week off work to recover. So I'm like, oh, week off work? That's okay. I can do that. Um, I did forget that, like, November is the most beautiful time of the year on the Central Coast. Uh, but, you know, I'll do it anyway. I'll just go sit outside in the sun. It, it'll be great. With sunscreen. Sunscreen. Lots of sunscreen. So that's, that's kind of been my last couple of weeks, just kind of navigating that information. And um, the, the prayer point, I mean, obviously Jesus, heal me now so I don't have to do it, would be great. But one of the things they noticed is um, there is a, a slight bulging on the side of the prostate. Uh, it hasn't gone anywhere else, but if, if the cancer has gone outside the wall of the prostate, then they have to take a little, little more of me out. And that increases the length of time it's going to take for me to recover and, and get back to full, full function. So uh, my prayer right now is just, Lord, let it be fully contained uh, in the prostate. Thank you for taking care of me. Um, the hardest part, really, of this kind of journey of discovery has been the waiting. Just there's a lot of not knowing and sitting and waiting. And the reason that I didn't bring it to you earlier is because I wanted to be able to tell you what the plan was going to be. Whether it was a good result or a really, really bad result, I didn't want you to have to carry the uncertainty of we don't know what's happening with our pastor. And so Wendy and I just decided to wait until we had all of the information, which we now have, and a plan, which we now have, and then because you're our family, we wanted to bring it to you. Um, let me also say, um, I'm sorry if I have not been as responsive to you as I should have been over the last couple of months. I've, I've caught a couple times when I didn't get back to an email or a, uh, a text message I should have sent went down a thread and, and a week went by and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was supposed to do that. Um, please forgive me. I've, I've been a little bit distracted. Um, but really trying to, to kind of press in to, to Jesus and, and learn. And so um, now you know what I know. Uh, it really is. Uh, somebody said, so basically what you're telling me is you got good, bad news. I said, exactly. I got good, bad news. I want to I share with you for the next few minutes, maybe the last 15 minutes we have together, some of the things that I am, I am freshly learning about what to do when you get hard news. Um, you know, I, I hoped when I, when I gave my life to Jesus that that would be the last time life ever kicked me in the teeth. Um, it was not. And so what do we do when life gets hard? We, we lose our job. We get news of an illness. We, we find out we have to relocate or we have an unexpected conflict. Can I, can I talk to you for just a couple of minutes about what I'm learning that I think might be a help and a support to you? Here's the first thing, and it's something that does not tend to come naturally to me, uh, neither in my maleness nor in my just general orientation. When you get hard news, be honest with yourself about what you're experiencing. Any of you guys have, have a tendency, you don't have to raise your hand, to hear something hard and just shove it as far down as you possibly can. 
find a way to distract yourself, medicate yourself, binge watch Netflix or something just so you don't have to, don't have to think about it anymore. I'm doing really well this morning. And the reason I'm doing really well is because I was honest with myself about not doing well earlier. Um, when, when, I got, when I got the news that, and, and didn't even get all the news, but just started to put the pieces together about what, what could be, uh, forgive me, this is going to be a little bit extreme, but this is how my brain works. I start thinking, can, this is so bad, Jesus forgive me. Can I die before my life insurance policy expires because I know I won't get another one and I want to make sure my kids are okay? I believe that you're my healer. I mean, what? what? But this, this is kind of how I was processing. If your first response to significant loss is this is great, you're probably not being honest with yourself. Let me tell you why being honest with yourself is so important. Paul, familiar to all of us, we're reading his his letter to Galatians, is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. He is the source of all comfort. The father of compassion is what another translation calls him. And I have to ask myself, how can God comfort you or meet you in your trouble if you aren't honest about having any? Denial is not the same thing as faith. Faith says, this sucks, God is good. Denial says, I'm fine. I was not fine. I just had a doctor use the C word. Nobody wants to hear that. And so I had to have moments with God where I'm going, I'm angry. I'm concerned. I'm scared. What the heck? Why did you let this happen? God can be good, and I can be scared, or I can be angry, or I can be anxious at the same time. And the way God has orchestrated family and brought people together is that he wants to meet me in the places that I am troubled because I am not the only one who is going to be troubled. And if I can be honest with God about where I'm at, I can receive his compassion and feel his comfort. Then when you come to me and say, John, I lost a family member. John, I got this diagnosis. I am able to care for you not by blowing smoke, we're going to be fine, but by saying, can I tell you how God met me when I had that same conversation with a doctor? But if I'm not honest about my need, I won't receive what I need. And in this case, I needed comfort. Be honest with yourself about what you're experiencing. Here's the second one. And if you're not good at the first one, you probably really stink at the second one. Be honest with others about what you were experiencing. Paul, again, in the part of the the book of Galatians we haven't gotten to yet, Galatians 6, 2, here's what he says. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Loving your neighbor as yourself. 
Carry each other's burdens. Why is that important? Listen, church, Paul would not have written this if he did not expect us to be burdened. So if your idea of making Jesus happy with you or living a victorious life of faith is to tell yourself that you're never burdened, you're just not being honest with yourself. And if you're not honest with yourself, you can't be honest with others. Paul would not have written this verse if he expected us to bear our burdens alone. Wendy and I had a good friend in Washington who was a nurse. And we, <laughs> you have to have a particular mindset to be a nurse. And, and I thought the only people who make good nurses are the people who are just uber-compassionate, uber-empathetic. I think what I heard this woman say more than anything else in my life is buck up, buttercup. I had a point to that story. I started telling the story, and I lost it. It's okay. I have cancer. So, um, sorry, I told you I would never do that. Wendy's like, you cannot. I tried that at home the other day. Like, I, I don't want to do the dishes kind of thing. And she's like, you better shut up. I'm like, okay. Okay. We are supposed to care for one another, and we can't care for one another if we don't share with one another when we need care. And if you are the kind of person that feels like for your family, for your church, for your community, you need to be a superhero, like I'm awesome and I'm doing good all the time, you may think that you're doing people a favor. But the fact of the matter is you are making yourself unrelatable and unapproachable. Because what you are presenting to the world, I'm fine, it's good, it's great, no one else is feeling when they face hard news. You're not feeling it either, you're just faking it. But if I think when I have hard news, I am troubled and I am anxious, but when you have hard news, you're great, I'm not going to bring my challenge to you because... I I can't relate to that. I'm, I am not a superhero. So God's not going to be able to work in and through you to encourage me. Wendy and I made a commitment when we got this news. Simple one. Let's be honest with each other. Can we tell each other the truth about what we're feeling so we can walk through this together? Yeah. Because talking about my feelings is one of those things that I love to do. Wendy's way more honest about it. I mean, she's, she's great at it. I, I have to stir myself to go, hey, a little scared today, a little frustrated today. She asked me yesterday, she said, how do you feel about talking to the church about this? I said, not good. Not good. Why? Because I don't want to burden anybody. That is just, that is just, oh, my gosh, that's hell talking. Because I need you the same way you need me. And so we need to be, now I'm not going to share everything with everybody. Like, let's, let's be honest. I'm not going to tell you some of my, my doctor stories. Between you and me, you don't want to hear them. But I'm going to make sure there are people in my life with whom I am being honest. So if life reaches out and slaps you in the face, reach out to someone else. And if you feel like, John, I'm new to the community, I'm new to the church, I don't have anyone to reach out to, this is why we have life groups. We are intentionally creating space for us to walk through life together. If you want somebody praying for you, fill out a connect card. 
and let us know. Our prayer team prays faithfully over every need in our church. And when service is over, come stand at the front with the folks that gather week in and week out to minister to you in prayer. So be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. Here's the other one. This may not sound biblical, but it is. Grieve the bad news. Huh? Grieve the bad news. If you're sorrowful, be sorrowful. If you're angry, be angry. Grief is a healthy process. Grief is not a lack of faith. Can I say that to you again? Grief is not a lack of faith. And if you are sorrowful about something you have experienced, grieve the loss of whatever that is, a relationship, a job, your health. Because God is with you in your grief. Do you know that Scripture teaches us that he comes alongside as we experience grief? Psalm 56, verse 8. David is talking to God. He says, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. When I am honest and when I grieve and when I mourn something I feel like I am losing, when I feel brokenhearted, God comes alongside of me. When I look at God and say, I'm fine, I'll do this on my own, he's like, okay, I'm here when you need me. The book of Lamentations, don't know if you've ever read that one, it is an entire book of the Bible that is a song of grief and sorrow. But here's the thing about Christians grieving. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. There is something in our grief that reorients us toward Jesus I can be honest with what I am feeling or experiencing because I don't think he's going to turn his back on me because I know I have, in the words of Scripture, both a future and a hope. Grief is an expected part of the process, but hope is my future. So, look forward in hope. That's how I orient myself moving forward. I look forward in hope. But here's the thing. If I don't walk through those first three steps, being honest with myself, being honest with others, and grieving loss, I'm not looking forward in hope. I'm looking forward in desperation. And it's very, very different. It's different when, you, when you're able to say, God, you have met me in this, and you have met me in this, and you have met me in this, therefore I look forward in hope. That's very different than, God, you got to help me. God will answer both of those prayers, but which person is experiencing more peace and life through the process? I got to be honest about what's going on. Hope trusts that God is working, maybe in ways I don't even see. Jesus meets me in the messy middle. This is as important as we're going through loss as it is when we're talking about salvation through grace. God doesn't expect me to get through my pain and my sickness and then come to him and go, I did it, I'm good, what do you want to do now? He meets me in that messy 
middle spot. Romans 8, verse 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, God causes everything to work together for the good. Sometimes my idea and his idea of good may be a little bit different. Amen? I mean, my idea of good may be I wake up tomorrow and the cancer's gone. God's idea of good might be that he wants to build my faith and the faith of others through this process. One of the things that I said when somebody said, how are you feeling? And in a, in a moment of strength and faith and hope, I said, I want God. This is when I was still waiting for answers. I said, whatever happens, whatever I hear, I want God to be glorified through this process. I want people to be able to look and go, Jesus was present with John as he walked out whatever I was going to have to walk out. James 1, verses 3 and 4, two of my least favorite verses in all of Scripture. You know that when your faith is tested, and this isn't a pass or fail test. I hope you know that. It, it means tested, like, like purified, like refined. Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Because when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What does that mean? It means I have cancer, and nobody wants cancer. But one of the things God does in the process, if I am honest with him and others, if I grieve the loss, and if I look forward and hope, God will meet me in such a way that when I am through this part of my journey, I am able to say with a fresh confidence, God is good. I am able to lead and follow Jesus with a fresh hope. God met me in my darkest place. This is how God responds to us as we lean into him but I have to posture myself in a particular way, which is just the last thing I want to share with you. I got to read. I got to pray. I got to worship. And you and me talking, when I get bad news, I'm not naturally inclined to do those things. My natural inclination is to sit down on the couch and go, well, this sucks. This is no fun. I didn't sign up for that. But discipleship? is a discipline, isn't it? Don't you sometimes wish you could separate those two words? The discipline wasn't so closely tied to discipleship. I have to make a decision to feed my spirit and to feed my soul. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8. Don't worry about anything. Interesting time to tell me that, Lord. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And verse 8, this is what I have control over. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts, your mind, on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I can focus on the goodness of God, the beauty of his creation, the gift of my family, or I can focus on what this journey might cost me and what I might lose. If I focus on the goodness of God, peace, 
comes to settle in my soul. Because my perspective is reoriented off of the bad and onto the good. I have zero control over cancer. But I have absolute control over where I focus my mind. Where I set my mind. I want to invite you to do that with me now. We're going to take a moment. And we're going to set our focus on Jesus. Who he is. What he's done and what it means for us. When we get bad news, hard news, it tries to speak to us and define our future. But my future is defined by Jesus and none other, as is yours. And so if this morning you came in carrying a burden, wrestling with hard news, facing a situation that seems to be speaking death over you instead of life, we're going to invite God to take that news, that situation, and turn it to our favor. We're going to ask God to work it for our good. Because fear, sickness, lack, that's not our future. Jesus is. Amen? Would you stand with me? And I just want to invite you that if there is something that you have been carrying, wrestling with, maybe... As, as hard as I've tried to be faith-filled and future-focused, maybe, maybe my news has just rattled you. Let's take it to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, the one who says his mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness to us is great. I feel like we need to respond to some of the things we've heard this morning. So I'm going to invite... If you're facing something that feels like a significant challenge, you may know what it is, or you may be like in the early stages of my journey with sickness, you may not know what it is, you just feel it. One of the things we talked about this morning is just being honest with ourselves and with others. And I'm not going to ask you what that thing is. But one of the lies that we tend to carry is that we're the only ones facing challenge. And so if this morning you're with us and you're facing a challenge that feels significant to you, whatever it might be, would you just stand to your feet? Here's the first thing I want you to see. You're not alone. Whatever you're facing is not an indictment on you as a person. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God is not going to be faithful to you. It does not mean that God is not near Here's the other thing I want you to see. If you're seated, I want you to stand to your feet. God has placed you in a family. A place where you don't have to walk through anything alone. A place where we will respect your privacy, but we will be available to share your journey. I want to pray for you. You are God, our healer. You are God, our strength. You are God, our provider. You are God, our redeemer. You are God, our restorer. You are God, our defender. You are our champion. You are the lifter of our heads. You are the Lord most high, mighty in battle. You are captain 
of the armies of heaven. And we are your beloved children. And so, Jesus, we come to you. Father, we come to you. Holy Spirit, we come to you in our moment of weakness, in our moment of need, unashamed to depend on you, unashamed to need you to move. And we ask, Lord God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would address every situation represented in this room this morning. I speak healing in the name of Jesus. I speak freedom in the name of Jesus. I speak restoration in the name of Jesus. I speak hope and life and love and vitality in the name of Jesus. And I speak right now to every force of hell that would come against the children of God with accusation, with illness, with discouragement. And I say your power is broken now in the name of Jesus. You lift and you leave. You go wander in barren places seeking rest and finding none. In Jesus' name, we are the children of God, called by His name, set apart for His purposes, and you have no right to any man, any woman, any child in this room. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.